Sisler uh, shared with us. Okay, there's a few. There's a few, and um, and you came back. That's great. That's good because uh, when Steve preaches, you just don't know exactly what's going to happen. But uh, but I do know that he loves God. God took him from being a pastor. He's now a corporate profiler, and um, and God is using him in the business community in amazing ways as he helps people find out how God designed them. Anybody that can hear my voice right now, God knit together your DNA for exactly who he wanted you to be. God knew who you were before you were ever born. And we need to live in alignment to the way God created us. And, and so God made you a special way. And, and Steve's gifting is helping people find out how God made them and how to be the man or woman of God that they are called to be. He has been such an influence in, in my life when I've heard him at conferences or here or private time with him. And when we're together, I just like shut up and listen. And I become like this human sponge because I want to hear everything that he's talking about. So today I want you to shut up and um, listen and become a sponge. No, don't shut up. Just amen here and there and wherever you want to. But, but definitely, definitely become that sponge and receive what the Holy Spirit wants to speak today. Would you welcome Steve Sissler as he comes to the pulpit? Am I on? Okay. <clears throat> well, how are we today? We good? All right. You know, um, I said this last night um, as we were singing this song about hope, and as Jonathan mentioned about the hope that we look forward to. Um, Solomon said, a living dog is better off than a dead lion because the living have hope. And so, how many people are alive today? You're breathing. Breathing people here? Then you have hope. Hope for what? Hope to change. Because our job is to ever increasingly go from glory to glory and change metamorpho into the image of Jesus. And boy, is it a process, isn't it? It's like pulling your bottom lip over the top of your head. <laughs> Trying to uproot and pull down and replant some of the things that are in our lives because of our formative years or living in the world like maniacs and whatever the case may be, um, but it's a process, and that's okay, all right? Okay, um, let's talk about some things. I want to talk about excruciating vulnerability today. Um, normally, I'm talking about human wiring. Um, uh, I'm usually speaking at businesses and companies and things like that, or a lot of one-on-one -on -one with leaders and CEOs, entrepreneurs, and managers. Um, but it's really a treat when I get to come to a, a group of believers and uh, those that are of like precious faith and share. It's a lot of fun. In America today, 
there are more conversions taking place within the recovery movement than any other evangelical enterprise combined. There are more conversions. In other words, people turning to Christ because they realize this is the best alternative to what I've had. In the recovery movement, when I say recovery movement, I'm talking about AA, NA, Sex A, all that stuff. There are more conversions taking place there than in church. than at Christian concerts, than than anywhere combined. And I started asking myself, why is this? And I wrote this little paragraph out. And this is what I believe is the, why this is happening. They, the people in recovery, have been stripped of everything designed to mask their frailty. They have been exposed by their utter and complete brokenness, and they have accepted defeat in regards to having the personal power to be good. Let me say that one more time. They've been stripped of everything designed to mask their frailty. They have been exposed by their utter and complete brokenness. And they have accepted defeat in regards to having the personal power to be good. Somebody walked up to Jesus once and said, good master. And then Jesus cut him off right there. Stop. There is no good people. Now, don't get offended. (laughs) He said, there's only one that is good, and that's God. It's when we realize we're not good that our heart is opened and exposed to become what he is. What do people say? If you walked around town with a microphone, are you going to heaven? Yeah, I'm a good person. That's the first thing people say. You know, this puts us, this idea of being good puts us in a prison. And I've called it the Eros prison. The Eros prison. Eros is a word. uh, I believe it's Latin. And it actually means, in the dictionary, the power and attempts to self-preserve. We're all about trying to preserve our dignity. Huh? People in recovery, they don't have any dignity. It's been stripped away. They're naked. I've got a new book coming out. Pray that I get it out, will you? Because I've got to get this book out. I can't seem to finish it. I've got to get it out. It's called Gumnazo. G-U-M-N-A-Z-O. Which is a Greek word that means to fight, uh, to uh, play in the games naked. And when Paul was writing to Timothy, you know, he talked to him in his letters. And uh, 
he said, train yourself to be godly. The word train is gumnazo. Uh, and it actually is the same kind of word we see in Hebrews where he talks about laying aside every weight and every sin that keeps us from winning the race that is set before us. These are all terms coming from the ancient Greek games. Paul said we are compassed about with witnesses. He's talking about like an arena where we're watching the games and we're cheering them on, our favorite players. Okay? And so, Gubnazo is the title of the book, Lessons in Fighting Naked. So I, I made a t-shirt and on the back it says, I fight naked. <laughs> That's a great conversation starter. <laughs> The subtitle is a guidebook on Christian living for the young and determined. It's a pretty blunt book, so you've got to be careful. Um, but hopefully that comes out this year. <sighs> Simply put, these people in recovery have been forced into a position of excruciating vulnerability. I don't know about you, but it's hard to be vulnerable. You know, when I'm dealing with leaders all the time, people in charge of something, they especially don't like being vulnerable. So I kind of force them into it. I had one guy, there's a company of 1,700 people, and he's the head of HR for the whole place. So I call him up one day, he answers the phone, I say, hey, pumpkin, what's going on? He says, excuse me? <laughs> I said, Pumpkin, how you doing, Pumpkin? It's Steve, Behavioral Resource Group. And he just starts laughing. And the walls just crumble. <laughs> you know, I'm not professional, I'm personal. And I teach people all over the place, it's better to be personal than it is to be professional. The more professional you are, the more formal you become. The more clothed you are, the more hidden, the more masked, the more you put up a persona. But the more personal you become, the less clothed you are, the more naked you are, the more intimate it becomes. And then you have entrance into their heart. So we need to be more personal than professional. We're being professional in the church, too. Amen. How you doing, brother? Great. Praise the Lord. I'm doing good. And your life's a wreck. And you're all Christian professional. But you see, we need to be personal. One time, years ago, I was in my early 20s. I was walking through church, and a man walked by me. He walked by, hey, Steve, how you doing? I said, not that good today. He goes, that's good. <laughs> he wasn't even listening to me. Being professional. Huh? Isaiah 6, if you go there, Isaiah 6. Maybe I should do that too. <clears throat> you know, I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it today. Really, I've never done this before. I'm going to do a repeat after me thing. All right? I'm going to say three words, and I want you to repeat it loud after me. I, I have, have problems. Problems. That's good, because you do, and so do I. 
We all have problems. Life with Jesus is about working out our problems from a position of authentic faith and honesty. That's what being a Christian is all about. The world has had it with the fakes. They've, they've had it. Do you know in America, more church doors are closing than churches are opening? And over 1,500 pastors a month are leaving the ministry. You know why? Because they have problems and they're tired of propping themselves up as if they don't. They can't do it anymore. They can't do it anymore. It's really time that we just are real, authentic, natural. I talk to people all the time. A lot of people, they don't believe in God at all that I, that I, I work with. And they always say to me, they don't, I, you're a Christian, really? Because I don't look like the, the plastic one. Do you still love me? <laughs> Isaiah 6.1 In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted and his train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. In other words, this was very weird. Huh? It's getting normal now. This was odd, to say the least. To say the most, this was crazy. And he saw it. And then he said this, verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. You know, Years ago, 1991 to be exact, I was, it's the weirdest thing, I was painting louver doors. You don't ever want to do that. I, I was thinking at the moment, you know, if I died and went to hell, it'd probably be just like this. <laughs> painting louver doors with a brush. And I'm in this closet. <clears throat> with the doors kind of closed with a light on, all alone with my knees up, crunched in there, painting these louvers. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I remember when it happened because I was in the closet, crunched up, painting louver doors when it happened. That's what made me remember when it was and where and all that. If it was just walking down the street, I might not have been able to give you the details. But I was so filled with hate that moment and this is what he said to me. You'll never get a complete and full revelation of who I am and who you are in me until you get a complete and full revelation of who you are without me. I never forgot it. That was like 20 years ago. I never forgot it. You'll never get a full understanding of who I am and who you are in me until you understand who you are without me. 
So that's where we got to go, and that's where we're going. We're going to understand who we are in him, who we are without him. So he says, woe is me. You know, whenever you see God, and when I say see God, I mean really. Remember Jacob wrestling with God? And all he could talk about afterwards, oh my God, oh my God. I saw him face to face and survived. And I lived. I lived. I lived to tell about it. He couldn't believe it. I lived. You see, meeting God is dangerous. The Bible calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. Is it going to be real good or it's going to be real bad? Because he comes with both. And it all depends on us. So this God who's so incredible and so powerful and so great is interested in us who have problems. He's interested in us and he loves us not as we should be but as we are. I want to read you something. This is a gentleman I met several years ago And he said, the revolutionary thinking that God loves me as I am and not as I should be requires radical rethinking and a profound emotional readjustment. Until we learn to live peacefully with what Andre Luth calls our amazing degree of weakness, until we learn to live gracefully with what Alan Jones calls our extreme psychic frailty, until we let the Christ who consorted with hookers and crooks to be our truth, the false, fraudulent self, motivated by cowardice and fear, will continue to distance us from abiding, restful union. In other words, until we stand in front of a mirror long enough, we're not going to have the real connection that we need to have with him. How many looked in the mirror this morning, be honest? Oh my gosh. Why do we look in the mirror? You know what we're doing when we look in the mirror? We're looking for value. We're looking for value. And we look in that mirror and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> or we go, oh, God. <laughs> right? That's what we're doing. We're checking ourselves out to see if we are worthy. Dr. Brené Brown, out of the University at Houston, has done a 10-year deep research project on shame. She's now speaking all over the country on this. And she found through research that everyone researched, and I'm talking about thousands of people and thousands of hours and thousands of meaningful conversations, 
and paper after paper after paper. I'm talking about doctrinal dissertation on the subject of shame. And she found that we all have it. We all have it. But it's what we do with it that makes the difference. It's what we're doing with it. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? I know this is Sunday school material, but it's going to blow your mind here in a minute. We're naked and unashamed. So there was a time when there was no shame. But that day's gone because once disobedience crept in and stupidity followed, it created three things. Guilt, fear, and hiding. That was the result. Sin is nothing more than meeting appropriate needs in inappropriate ways. Sin is meeting legitimate needs illegitimately. In other words, we're sinning because we have a need. It's not wrong to have a need. Anyone is wrong to be wrong. It's just wrong to stay wrong. It's not wrong to be wrong. So we have needs, but we meet the needs in illegitimate ways. As it says in Jeremiah 2, 13, I believe it is, he says, I got two problems with you, Israel. Number one, you refuse to come to me, the spring of water that saves you and quenches your thirst completely. And the other thing is, you're going around digging your own wells, empty cisterns that are broken that don't hold any water. Because the human being thinks the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Well, you've got to realize, no, they just have a higher water bill. It's not what you think. But you see, our human nature is to discover. And that's what we do. We're trying to discover something to make and meet the needs inside of us. Because we're a needy people. We're a needy people. And so... Jesus is about creating excruciating vulnerability in us. He wants us to be vulnerable. Huh? He wants us to be vulnerable. Look at the woman at the well. You know, it's John chapter 4. It was supposed to be a nice day at the well. I'm going to go get a drink, and Jesus is there. This is a funny story, by the way. To me, it's hysterical. It should be a children's book. And Jesus is sitting there and he goes, Woman, give me four to drink. <laughs> so glad we don't talk like that. Woman, give me a drink. Like, like, well, you know, women were seen as cattle in, those, in that culture. You do know that. They were second class citizens. Get up here and give me a drink. Take off my shoe too. That's how males were with women. I don't agree with that. 
That's the way it was. It is over there still. So, woman, give me a drink. So she gets him a drink. And then they start this conversation. And Jesus just starts exposing her. Oh, go get your husband and bring him. Oh, I don't have a husband. I know. <laughs> and he's number five. You're not even married to him. And all of a sudden, what happened? Oh, she's lying in the bed. He just ripped the sheets off. <laughs> Exposed her. Well, that's the same thing that happened to Isaiah. In the year Uzziah died, he thought he was going to take a nap, and all of a sudden God ripped off the blankets. Boom. Naked. What's the first thing you do when you're naked? <laughs> right? Huh? We hide. Funny how we do that. What the heck? Aren't we funny? I mean, it, culturally, it would be a little odd if you went. <laughs> huh? There's something in all of us that just wants to hide. When we stand in the presence of God, He doesn't want us going like this. He wants us like this. Can we get to that place where we can do that with Him and other people? Can we get there? That's the question. Philippians chapter 2, if you want to go there, I'm going to get to my point here. We're talking about excruciating vulnerability and shame. Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God works in you to will and to act so you can act, act out in line with his good purposes. And you can will, you can want to act out in line with his will and purposes. It's God that works that in you. While you work out, in other words, it's in, we got to get it out. So you have to work it out into your members, into your feet and your legs and your eyeballs and your voice. You have to work out the salvation into your personhood and walk as a salvation person. Act, live, breathe, talk, view things like a salvation person. This is the process that has come to be known as sanctification. Well, I don't use that word, but that's the word I grew up with. 
Didn't know what it meant. Sanctify what? It's called God helps us to live right. That's what it is. God helps us to live right. That's us working out our salvation. Work. Through fear, the fear of the Lord, which is the wholesome dread of displeasing your heavenly Father. Not, not that kind of fear. It's not that kind of fear. It's a dread of displeasure. I can remember, I was probably 16 or 17. I was like going on my first real date because I had a license now. And you know, I'm 16. I'm a guy, right? Hormones are like coming out of my eyes. And this girl was like an ex-model. I don't know how that works, but... And uh, she wasn't a Christian. I was. I'm thinking, part, you know, that side of you is going, oh, yeah. Huh? And I'll never forget going to the car. And I get in, and I'm fumbling with the keys, and I've got to get out of my yard. I've got to get to this date. And my mother comes out. She's going, and I'm going, oh, no, 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 no. She comes over to me, she looks in the car, and she goes, I want your head to be above these windows all night long. <laughs> she ruined my date. My whole date, I'm white-knuckled, sitting at the steering wheel, and the girl kept going, what's wrong? I had the wholesome dread of displeasing my mom. I had the wholesome dread of displeasing my mom. Because I've always had an incredible relationship with my mom. And that relationship that I had with my mom caused me to want to please her. And I could see her sitting in a chair in the family room while I'm in there with this hot chick, for heaven's sakes, <laughs> white-knuckled on the steering wheel. She was from Germany, and I kid you not, we're sitting there by a lake, and she looked at me, she said, Do anything. <laughs> Do anything? And I just sat there like this. And she said, take me home, please. <laughs> and I did. I took her home, and that was my hot date. What a loser. <laughs> but you see, what was going on was I had a wholesome dread of displeasing my mom. I really did. And it kept me right. You see, it's when we're in the right relationship with God that we start to develop a wholesome dread of displeasing Him. Huh? But the relationship has to be right for that to happen. It has to be intimate. It has to be exposed. You have to be naked. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be real with God. I don't pray to God with these and thous and therefores and get in a suit. I'm more like, God, what do we do now? I mean, it's authentic. It's authentic. And here, this is a job. Work is a job. Work out your, working out your salvation, it's a job. But we've got to move from the process of sin management to relationship management. That's what we have to do. We've got to begin with ourselves. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them 
finds mercy. He who conceals, what's another word for that? Hide. Hides. Uh, guilt, fear, hiding, remember that? He who hides his sins will not prosper. We hide our sins. We hide them. But I got some incredible news for you. God's eyes sees through brick walls. All things are naked and open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Huh? You see, when we feel shame, which we all do in differing levels, by the way, we react, according to this research, we react one of two ways. We either uh, numb our emotions and try to numb vulnerability, or we embrace our weakness. Paul ran into this, if you didn't remember this. Paul ran into this, and he said, Lord, there has been given to me a thorn in the flesh, the angel of Satan, to buffet me. In other words, he was describing whatever this thing was as like the devil standing behind him with a pin, just going. That's how annoying it was to him. And, you know, speculate, speculate. Everybody's doing that. That's not the point. I don't care what it was. The fact is the matter. He saw it as weak. He saw it as a problem, and he wanted it gone. Right? Let's agree there. Right. What did Jesus say to him? Well, I know you're really concerned about that, Paul, but I'm not. Matter of fact, I'm so unconcerned, I'm not even going to take it. I'm going to let you keep it. And he said he begged him three times, please, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. Because my grace was made for this. And then Paul flips a switch. And what does he say? This is, unbe this is unbelievable. Okay, I glory in my weakness. Excuse me? I glory, I love, I embrace my weaknesses. Because when I am weak, he is strong. Why are you so afraid of looking weak? When the boss comes to you, hey, did you get that done? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I did, I did. Let me try to find it. It'll take about a week. <laughs> what are we doing? Afraid of being weak. Hey, do you want to go hunting with me? Sure, I'll take one down. You get out there, you're like, but you don't want anyone to know because you feel like you're weak. Some of us married people in the bedroom, that's, that's where your weaknesses really show up. You want to initiate some lovable activity and you get turned down. Huh? All of a sudden, 
Is it the way I look? <laughs> Face it, folks, we're weak. It's, neg it's, it's a negative thing, huh? It's kind of negative. I know the power of positive preaching would be good right about now. But it's a negative. Is negative so bad? Well, let me find out. Do you ever get up in the morning, go out to the car, pull the battery out, and take the negative post, and take a hammer, and break it off, and go, we've got to get rid of the negative so we can get to work on time. Huh. Without it, you ain't going anywhere. There's a nifty balance between your negatives and your positives. We're not supposed to hate our negatives. We're supposed to embrace them, understand them, and then capitalize on them. Because that's who we are. If that's not who we are, then why did Jesus die? And why are we never sinless ever until we leave this planet? We have got to stop denying our weakness and our emotion. Because when you do, you get worse. You can't selectively suppress emotions, one, two, three particular emotions, without oppressing all of them. Research has shown you cannot selectively suppress single emotions without suppressing the whole lot. And when we do that, a couple things happen. The first thing that happens is we become a person that wants to make everything that was first uncertain, certain. We see that in church all over the world, happening. Where the gospel is once shrouded in mystery and faith, it's now, bless God, it's true. And we leave broken people in there thinking, I wish I could live like him. I wish I could be like that. He's not like that. He's a speaker. He's not that way. He's like you. I'll never forget one time I was talking to somebody. I had a porn addiction in the early 90s. lasted about a year. And God delivered me from it. And I was talking about something. He's going, you what? And I said, funny, you didn't know I was like you, did you? Yeah. We don't want to conceal. We don't want to hide. We want to be open. We want to be honest. We take everything certain, uncertain, and we try to make it certain. And what shame does is it transfers things from you to other people. And you try to make your problem everyone else's. And then you hide behind the wall you build. That's, that's what happens. We have to let go of who we think we are as opposed to who we actually are. What is the second thing we do? We pretend that what we're doing is not affecting other people. We pretend 
We rationalize, which means to tell yourself beautiful, rational lies. We pretend that what we're doing is not affecting other people. Corporations do this, whether it be an oil spill, a bailout, whatever, they're, they're pretending. It doesn't affect anybody. But it does, doesn't it? It affects everyone, it affects us all. Parents fighting in front of the children, pretending it's not affecting the home, and it does. We pretend that what we do does not affect the people around us. Everybody people watches. Everybody. They all people watch. And you see, <clears throat> we have to learn the art of being vulnerable and being real. And walking into the Lord's throne room, whether it be in your mind, in the spirit, however you do that, and going in there as you are, not as you should be. How many times have you done something stupid, you messed up, you stub your toe, you cuss, I don't care, whatever it is, you do that, and then somebody says, hey brother, would you say grace tonight for us? <laughs> and you're like waiting for the big hatchet in the sky to fall, huh? You know that feeling, are you high traditional like me, huh? You're like, oh my God, I can't do this. He's going to kill me. See, that's in a lot of us. Some more than others. It keeps you from being effective. But if you knew that that was normal, and that God just looks at you and goes, oh, get over here. You have children, don't you? Are you ready to completely disown them? You're out of the house. I'm seven. You're out of the house. <laughs> we don't do that. No. How much more than your heavenly father? How much more? Huh? I'm convinced that that one type attitude that fear of vulnerability is what actually keeps us from conquering our sins. I'm, 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 I'm so emphatic about this that it's only when we just lay down and go, Jesus, I'm a mess! And embrace it. And then surround ourselves with people that know I have nine men in my life. Nine. Nine guys. I talk to nearly every week. They know everything there is to know about me. All the, way from, all the way to the womb. Everything. Absolutely everything. And we're vulnerable with each other all the time. It keeps me feeling good, living good. It's awesome. It's covenant. Like David and Jonathan. No secrets. Why? You're only as free as your secrets. You see, we're a bunch of people, and, you know, at the end of church, you know, we may do it here. I don't know. We have ministry time, you know, and everybody's come down. You know, what can I pray for you about? But we're all forgetting one thing. It takes free people to free people. People in prison don't go let other people out of prison. Only free people can free people. Man, 
If you're secretly looking at pornography at work or at night on your computer and you're trying to pray for somebody that's got that problem, it won't work. You have no authority. None. You have to be real with yourself and open and honest. It's the only place out. It's the only door out. Vulnerability. We already know you're dumb anyway, so who cares? <laughs> huh? We're human. We're people. I want to read you something. My favorite book, The Velveteen Rabbit. Brilliant, 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 brilliant work of art about the human condition. Nursery toys in a nursery. And the boy gets a little rabbit, toy stuffed rabbit for Christmas. Anybody ever seen The Velveteen Rabbit? You ever read it? Margie Williams. All the other toys are now jealous. The toy boat. So what does he do? He's got chipped paint, so he's annoyed. He's got chipped paint, so he feels he's got a weakness. So what does he do? He starts to boast about his exterior rigging. The wooden lion, he feels weak. So what does he do? I was made by the disabled soldiers movement in town. I've got connections with the government. Trying to prop themselves up because they're afraid the boy's going to love the rabbit more than them. And then the little toy soldier, same thing. I, I move on my own accord. You wind me up. So this poor rabbit is incensed by this and he starts to feel ashamed of being a bunny, of being a toy rabbit. And he wants to be real. He wants to have something in him that's real because all the other toys got these realities that they're all boasting about and making him feel terrible. And he wants to be real, so he speaks to the skin horse who's been there a very, very long time in the nursery and he's very, very wise. And the rabbit looks at the horse and he says, what is real? asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nanner came in to tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt, asked the rabbit. Sometimes said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once like being wound up? Or does it happen bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become it takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily, have sharp edges, or have to be carefully kept.
Most of your most of your hair has been loved off. I said, most of your hair has been loved off. Your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, said the skin horse, because once you are real, you can't be ugly. Except to people who don't understand. Jesus wants to love your hair off. He wants your eyes to fall out, get weak in the joints, and get very shabby. Like the boy did with the rabbit, and eventually, you know the story, the rabbit turns into a real rabbit. God sees you as a precious nursery toy like that, like that boy did, and he loves you with all he's got. And there'll be plenty of people around you to try to tell you, you're not real. But they have sharp edges. They're always trying to keep themselves carefully kept. They can't be vulnerable, so they have to boast about their exterior rigging. They can't do it. But you can because you have the greater one in you. You can be real. God wants you to be real. You need to look in the mirror and say, yep, that's me. And I love it. Because God loves it. Let's pray. Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would come upon us today and change us, starting today bit by bit. And I know it takes time. As the story just told us, it takes time. As we become vulnerable, we start looking shabby because we realize our weaknesses. But Father, we have to glory in them so that you can be strong in our life. If we don't accept our weaknesses, and if we don't recognize the fact that we have them, it's part of life, you can't fix it. Help us not to hide. Help us, Father, to come out into the open and live out in the middle of a field, naked, for all to see. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every habit, every addiction, every little coping mechanism that is in this place wrapping its ugly talons around these people will break, fall, and stop in Jesus' name. They will come out of their closets, break away from shame, because he who trusts in him will not be put to shame. And I pray in the name of Jesus, you'll just break that in the name of Christ. You'll break it in Jesus' name. I thank you for these precious people. They're so awesome. You love them. I love them. Lord, we rejoice in the fact that no matter where we are, you look at us with eyes filled with love, and your blood follows us all the way to the grave.
Oh, God, you're unbelievable. You're unbelievable. Help us to be real in Jesus' name. Amen. You let Steve know how much uh, you appreciated his ministry. Hmm. Wow. I want you to just, I feel like we've had a big meal. You've got to just meditate on it. You have to digest it. And um, we'll put the service online so that you can um, just kind of go over it again. If you want to listen to it again, you can do that. If you want special prayer this morning, you can come down and uh, we'll pray for you. Um, but God's love wants to set us free. I go back to the song that we sang at the very beginning. That we just kept singing that God's love, it never runs out. It never gives up on us. I love that about God. It's beautiful. And um, uh, we want to take up an offering for Steve. He's actually here. Uh, he's worked with our pastoral staff, and now he's going to be working with our staff and uh, leadership of our church in different ways as far as assessments and things like that. And, and we want to be a blessing to him uh, while he's here. And uh, so uh, I just want to tell you that uh, God's using Steve in powerful ways both in the corporate world and in churches, and, and I know that uh, any gift to him is uh, sown into good ground. So I'm going to invite the men and women to come forward, and as they do, let's pray for Steve uh, as he's with us uh, for the next several days, but also as God takes him on his next assignment. God, we just thank you for uh, Steve, his heart, Lord, his relationship with our church. God, we, um, we thank you for uh, bringing him into our lives. We thank you for the words that were spoken here and preached. And God, I pray that you would take them not only into your house and your kingdom, but Lord, uh, Lord, take him into dark places and let him share the light, God, and be with him in all that he does. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you give this morning, um, as you know, every weekend we gather together. God is here, and it's just always wonderful. And next weekend, uh, we'll continue to worship the Lord. I'll be preaching out of Romans chapter 11 next week. And then the following week, uh, Steve Sampson is with us. And Steve has a prophetic ministry. We always enjoy having Steve with us. And he will be here uh, the following weekend, uh, the last weekend of the month. And uh, we will also be having a Sunday evening prophetic service as well. So uh, that's uh, two weekends from now. And uh, again, there's so many things happening inside of your bulletin. Uh, you can look and, and see. One of the things that is coming up right away is uh, we're packing food for the Philippines. We're going to be doing that the same Sunday that Steve Sampson is here. Basically, uh, we just go right into the gym after church and uh, we pack meals. And what takes us literally less than an hour to do feeds thousands upon thousands of kids. And so uh, we'll set up the tables, get that all ready to go. So if you want to be here to help, you can do that. Or if you just want to give uh, a gift toward that, you can do that as well. But that's coming up. And uh, then also, just another way that we can minister to people is uh, through giving food and clothing and different things. We do that every week on Fridays. But because the snow has come and the, and the cold has come, uh, out over by the elevator, there are kids' uh, coats and boots and hats and mittens and all of that is free for 
the taking. If you know anybody that is in need of winter clothing for their children, uh, please take whatever you need for them. If you're in need, go ahead and take it for yourself. If you know somebody and they're not here, you can tell them to come by and they can pick it up. It is all free and we want to be a blessing to anyone who is in need. Also, we have a new couples uh, small group ministry that's beginning. If you're interested in that, you can sign up in the lobby. Would you stand for the blessing of the Lord this morning? And as you go, if you want to spend a little more time with the Lord, you can do that right here. If you want to have special prayer, come on down front to, to uh, Brother Steve here. And, and, but do not leave without fellowshipping with one another and uh, being the church together. But may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. God, I thank you for that blessing. God, I thank you that that blessing comes from your love for us. It's not dependent on what we do or don't do. God, you love us with an everlasting love. And God, I thank you that you are always with us, that you're always smiling. God, that, that uh, your favor, your peace, your joy, your strength is always available. May we find ourselves coming to you unashamed and being set free by your love. God, keep us safe, keep us strong until we can gather together again as the church and worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go this morning.